promise when I had superpowers. Imagination was my friend and it ran wild and free. I would waste a couple hours without a worry in the world, staring at stars out on my trampoline. I miss when Annie MacArthur was the fastest. Kid there was and kid there was ever gonna be King Griffey Jr. was a giant Before the parents got divorced And I learned that there was gravity I miss my own hero I had to give them all away remember that? Uh, do you remember when our heroes, they were these kind of like larger than life, these just gigantic people that, that we would look up to and, and we would try and figure out like how we could be like them, right? Like how we could also leap tall buildings in a single bound and how we could run like the speed of light, like the flash or shoot webs out of our wrists, right? Like Spider-Man. Or maybe maybe for you, like your hero, hero is a little more like our, our graphic for the series. Like like, you, you looked up to people for sure, but for you, it was to be the firefighter, right? The everyday hero where he could save all the kittens from the burning building, right? Or, or the police officer that, that could stop all the robbers. Either way, it was certainly something for all of us to kind of aspire to, something that we wanted to become when we grew up, these grandiose, giant characters in life. And for just a moment, right? For just a moment in life, we actually believed for a little bit that we could, we could become them one day, that maybe... Maybe one day we could have right, extraordinary impact in the world. But then, every passing year, right? Every passing year, life goes on, you get a little bit older, and it just becomes clear, right, to you, yeah, that's just not, that's not for me. That's, that's just not going to happen to me. Uh, those people, they all seem like they've got something special. They've got something, I can't quite figure out what it is, but they have something that, that I don't have because I'm just... I'm just ordinary. Well, we'll come back to that in just a moment. I, I didn't want to get too far into this message with, without welcoming everybody, just like Ronnie did earlier. Like, like he said, this is our first time back from our Christmas gatherings, and there's a high likelihood there's a lot of people in here who this may be your very first time showing up on a Sunday morning, and I'm so glad that you chose to be with us. My name is Matt Paddock. I'm the teaching pastor here. Really, teaching pastor, that, that just means my role is to, to make sure we do one thing specific. I mean, I've got some other things, but the main thing for me is to make sure that in all of our environments that we're constantly doing practical biblical teaching, as we call it, practical biblical teaching, that inspires and empowers people to follow Jesus. That, that we would do our best to teach the never-changing truths of Scripture 
uh, that we would never water it down, that we would never pretty it up, that, that we wouldn't put any work into trying to soften the edges for you, but that we would just teach biblical truth, but teach it in a way that maybe for you, if you, if you grew up in the church, you, you might know some stuff, but you don't know how to use it. And so we want to do the best that we can to teach it in a way that it makes sense for you. So that when you walk out of here today, you actually know what you might actually do with this in your life today. Not just a story about something that happened thousands of years ago. And we do that because if you're here, there's something that's true about you. Something. You're either here to find out if we're all crazy. And let me tell you, the, the verdict's kind of out on that. We, we don't know for sure. Uh, or or you're, you're here to experience God. And you might be here to experience God because you're not even sure if you believe any of this stuff at all. That, that's your opportunity to experience God. Maybe you want to experience God because you do believe it to be true and you want to figure out how you can follow him more in your life. Uh, but either way, practical biblical teaching, as far as I believe it, is the best way to do any of that, which is why I'm so glad that you chose to join us today, the start of a new year, as we begin our new series called Unlikely Heroes. And Unlikely Heroes, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to look at four ordinary Old Testament figures. Ordinary people, ordinary figures within the Old Testament who eventually actually had extraordinary impact on the world around them. But we're going to learn these stories not just for the sake of knowing the stories, right? Because, like I said, if you grew up in the church, if you had any time in the church at all, you might know a ton of stories. Like you might know the creation story. You might know the flood story. You might know these stories. But I, I don't know that you know exactly how to use any of that information in your life. And so that's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to do the best that I can to help you know how to use these stories to actually use them in your life. And we're going to work to uncover their unique quality. What was it about these ordinary people that, that gave them the opportunity and allowed them, that, that God used them because of this unique, or, or, uh, this unique character that they had? How did God use that so that they might ultimately have extraordinary impact in the world? Because I believe, I believe if we can learn what they had, we can see what, what this character they utilize in, in these ordinary people, if we could use, learn to use them in our own lives as well, that ultimately you and I, we could have extraordinary impact as well. And so I want to do something that, that I've never done before. So just so you're, so you're clear, if you're new, we don't do this often. But I'd love to have you guys stand with me as we start. I'm standing. Why not stand with me? We're all friends here, right? Just take a moment. I promise. And here, here's the deal. Now that you're standing... You're welcome to sit down if any of these next phrases apply to you, all right? If they apply to you, please sit down. I'd be happy for you to sit down. Here's the deal. First one's this. And when I say best, I, I literally mean best in these next statements, okay? Like not just best in your house or best in your school. I'm talking best. Are you the best in your class? Like 2024, I'm not talking valedictorian at Elkhorn. I'm talking like... Are you the best? No? Okay. All right, cool. Are you the best athlete? Like, are you the number one recruit in the nation for your sport? Are you, no, probably not. Do you have the biggest muscles in the gym you go to? Maybe the gym you go to, but not, but not, not all gyms. I know that. Do you, are you the most successful in your field? In the Fortune 500, are you the top of the list? Do you make the most money of anybody you know? Okay, here, here's the deal. If you're sitting, <laughs> there's good. God can use you, right? God can use you. But for the rest of us, here, here's the better news, right? That our God, our God specializes in using ordinary people. You are, are capable of so much more than you could ever imagine. 
You were born for a purpose, whether you believe that or not. You were created to do something eternal. You were created to be a part of something that matters, something that lasts far beyond you. God's work in you is unfinished. You are positioned for extraordinary impact. And as we start this year, this new series, you might be asking, how can an ordinary person like me ever have extraordinary impact on anything? We'll go ahead and take a seat. I'll, I'll try and help us figure that out. One of the most motivating, uh, captivating, the, probably one of the more inspirational stories of a, a really, really ordinary guy that ultimately had extraordinary impact within Scripture is a guy named Nehemiah. You may have heard of Nehemiah if you've been in the church at all. The, the coolest thing about Nehemiah, what I love about it is, you know, he had extraordinary impact, but he wasn't a pastor. He, he wasn't a priest. He, he wasn't a prophet. He, he wasn't a warrior. He certainly wasn't a king. He was, by all purposes, he was an ordinary person. A, an ordinary person who at one point heard something that hurt his heart. He heard about something that crushed his spirit that eventually compelled him to take action and do something about it. They, he heard something that made him move, and eventually he made a difference in the world around him. You see, Nehemiah was what they call a cupbearer. He was a cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes in Persia. And if you don't know what a cupbearer is, kind of that job, with, you know, when I talk about ordinary, I mean, it, you know, on kind of the hierarchical list <laughs> in, in the palace there, he, he was a servant, right? In the org chart, he was pretty far down there. But now, he was a servant, but, he, you know, the way we would think of him more would be more like a butler. He was like a personal butler to the king. And so you can imagine, ordinary for sure, but very, very trusted role within uh, the king's palace there. He had tremendous access to the king. He was always with him. In fact, that access would allow him the opportunity to have uh, to be involved in and he overhear conversations that the king might be having, having private conversations that the king would have with the people around him. Things like, hey, should we go to war with so-and-so? Uh, hey, uh, uh, let's throw a party and not invite that guy, right? Like, hey, tell my wife I have a headache tonight. Like, intimate stuff. That was a joke. Jeez. <laughs> I'll take that out for the next one, I guess. I've been working. <laughs> Nehemiah, he would have had intimate knowledge of the king. And so the cupbearer, like, sir, a servant, a, a, a butler, if you will, but very trustworthy. Had to be a man of high, high integrity. Uh, but he was also fiercely loyal to the king, which might be something that you figured out based on the name of his position, what the name reflects, the fact that his main purpose in life, his, his job was to be the last one to taste the wine and the food that the king was going to eat before he, before he ate it, which might sound kind of cool to you. I mean, obviously the king, he gets the best wine, he gets the best food. Uh, but in those days, not all that different than in our day today, someone was always, always trying to overthrow the kingdom. Uh, somebody was always plotting to take over. There, there were always plots to kill the king. And one of the easiest ways for them to do it was to try to get something into his food and poison him. So Cupbearer's job was to determine if the wine or the food was poisoned before allowing the king to eat or drink. And I don't know about you, but if I get that job, I'm taking out a pretty huge insurance policy because you only fail once, right? You only fail once at that job. And Nehemiah, an ordinary guy, not, not in a role of status at all, certainly in a role of servanthood. And one day, one regular old day in the palace, you know, drinking the wine for the king, all that stuff going on, 
this ordinary guy overhears news. He overhears news that would eventually change the course of his life forever. And we read about that in the book of Nehemiah. We start right off in, in chapter one. We read this. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also questioned them about Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah is having this conversation with his brother. Uh, and he says, hey, man, like, you got to tell me. Tell me about what's going on with our people because I'm so far away. I, I, I've been gone for so long. I don't even have a clue what's going on. Tell me about what's going on in our homeland, in our hometown. And, and the reason Nehemiah is even asking is because 140 years earlier, about 586 B.C., Babylonians under the, the kind of evil ruler Nebuchadnezzar had come and attacked Jerusalem and just completely demolished the city. Solomon's temple, which if you've ever heard about Solomon's temple, I mean, it was the place for the Jewish people. They, it was where they believed the physical presence of the glory of God lived. Solomon's temple, where the glory of God, their God that they served lived, had been destroyed. Every building within Jerusalem had been leveled. They, the gates that provided protection had been burned. Everything they knew was completely gone. Uh, Babylonians at that point then took tens of thousands of Jews captive and exiled them back to Babylon. The, the Jewish people, if they had been slaves before in Egypt, but this was different. Like the Babylonians came and took them in exile to Babylon, not to be slaves, but to be the lowest of the low. They weren't even in slavery. They just had to live there completely demoralized. They were away from their home. They, 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 the God that they had served, that they had no way to, to continue to worship him in the way that they had before. They saw no hope for a future. And then decades later, about 538 B.C. or so, the, the Persian conqueror, Cyrus the Great, conquered the Babylonian Empire. And with that, he kind of inherited all the empire, which included the, the area of Judah, which is where the Jews were from. And being moved by God, Cyrus then allowed Jews to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Cyrus was really just trying to make sure he had good relationships with the, the states within his empire. And about 50,000 returned back to Jerusalem and so that's how kind of the backstory, what was going on, why, why Nehemiah even cared. And so they continued to tell Nehemiah, talking in first person, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And so here we are, we got no wall, <laughs> which by the way, if you know anything about cities in those times, to be a city of any circumstance at all, you had to have a wall. Like, Otherwise, you're just a village that could be ransacked in a moment. To be a city, you had to have a wall. So there was no wall. There was no gates for protection within that wall. No protection from outside forces made them completely vulnerable to everybody around them. And worse than that, they may be in their city, but they have no leadership. They have no leadership. They've got no direction with no direction, no plan, with no plan, no confidence, with no confidence. Eventually, they have no hope. The story of Nehemiah goes on. This, this section of Nehemiah is about six chapters. The whole book's 13. Obviously, we don't have time to go through every bit of it, but here's kind of how the story unfolds. Nehemiah then does eventually get to go to Jerusalem. And, and while he's in Jerusalem, he does take charge, and he is part of helping to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls, to bring back some sense of normalcy to their community, to their people. And, and along with a guy named Ezra, Nehemiah and Ezra, they work together to bring about some sense of their spiritual belief, their, their, their worship of God kind of comes back to normal again. They get them following the law to the best that they can. And so we start to see that everything's starting to come back together for Jerusalem, for the Jewish people. But the book 
The book does not end on a happy note. In fact, it goes right back to the very end. Nehemiah, at the end of this book, he's sitting before God once again, and he's confessing the sins of himself, and he's confessing the sins of his people because he sees again that they're continuing to go against what God wants for them. They're continuing to work on the Sabbath, which was extremely important to them. They're continuing to sell things in places they weren't supposed to sell things. They were just completely going against the law that Ezra and Nehemiah had worked so hard to bring back together for them. And so what we see at the end of Nehemiah and what I love about the, the scriptures as a whole is when we look through the entirety of scripture, just like at the end of Nehemiah, end of Nehemiah we see Nehemiah pointing to the gospel truth of Jesus. We see ne Nehemiah pointing to the fact that, hey, you can clean up the outside all you want. <laughs> you can rebuild the walls. You can even work to rebuild the temple. But if you don't change anything in your heart, what is it worth? It's worth nothing. So what I love about the, the section that we're looking at today is when you look at what was going on with Nehemiah early on in this book, you see Nehemiah wasn't asked by anybody to come take charge. Nehemiah's brother shows up and simply gives him information, just simply gives him the news about what's taking place in his hometown. Nehemiah was an appointed leader of the people. If you will, Nehemiah wasn't hired to be the general contractor, you know, to come rebuild the walls. Nehemiah... Nehemiah was willing. He was willing. Nehemiah understood that to have extraordinary impact on anything, you don't have to be appointed by man. You simply have to be willing to follow the call. And so let me ask you right kind of early on here. Is there, is there something that has been weighing on you? Follower of Jesus or not, like this, this is for everybody. Is there something that's kind of been stirring inside of you? Do you see a situation in the world or, or the world around you, just your small sphere of influence? Do you see a situation that is causing this kind of gut level, this soul level angst, this kind of pit in the bottom of, of your stomach? And, and you look at it and you, you weep for it and you look at it and say, man, somebody should do something about that. Somebody should step in and really take care of that or take care of those people or, or work in that situation. But psh, I'm, just, I'm just an ordinary person. Do, do you have a passion for anything? And better, yeah, this is a much better word than passion because who knows what passion means anymore. Do you have kind of this, Ronnie and I talked about this this week. Do you have this holy discontent? This kind of righteous indignation, like this holy discontent, but... But how could God actually use me? Well, Nehemiah, he, he actually did three specific things. Three specific things that I want to look at that if you're willing, if you're willing, as Nehemiah was, that could position you to have extraordinary impact. That should you choose to do them as well, that, that, that you could have impact in the world like you would never have imagined. Well, the first thing you do to position yourself to be willing to follow God's call, just as Nehemiah did, was you sit down to cry. You sit down to cry. For just a moment, you let whatever it is, whatever this thing is that you've seen, whatever it is that you've experienced or been a part of, whatever is causing this holy discontentment, whatever injustice, whatever wrongdoing, you let it in. You let it in and, and seep deep inside you and let it break your heart. We see that Nehemiah did this 
right there in verse 4, he said, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Nehemiah says, when I, when I heard what was taking place in my hometown and the place where my forefathers are buried, when I, when I saw them there, it crushed me. It crushed me and it broke my heart and I had nothing left to do but to sit and to weep. And what's so interesting about what was actually taking place in this moment, if you, if you look at where Nehemiah was when this was all going, when he heard the news, it would have been really easy to just shake off the bad news. Man, that sucks. There's people struggling over there, man, that's really, that sucks for them, like, right? He's almost a thousand miles away. He is in the palace of the Persian king. He's eating the best food. He's popping crystal. He's posting selfies on the king's private jet. I mean, he is, he is doing it all, and he could have brushed it all off. He could have just pushed it all away. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. You probably do it all the time. You know, we're just here, we're scrolling through the phone. The algorithm gives us at least one piece of news and it hits our heart for a moment. Oh man, that sucks. Ooh, look, puppies. <laughs> right, that's about, that's about the, the amount of time we give it, right? At the moment, Nehemiah had a choice. Push it away or he could let it in. But not just in his head, right? Like we can have knowledge of stuff that's going on. It mean nothing. He let it in his heart to the point where it broke him and crushed him, gave him a holy discontent, a divine burden, an aching in his soul. And when he heard the news, he didn't know what to do. We so often, we don't know what to do, but he sat down to cry. So let me ask you again, what breaks your heart like that? What breaks your heart like that? What brings a, a righteous a holy discontentment in your soul? Is it kind of the plight of children in our world? Maybe for you, maybe it's special needs children. Maybe it's, maybe it's kids that have been neglected or abused or it's kids in the foster care or orphan system. Or, or maybe your heart breaks for single moms or pregnant women who feel like they have no other out. And maybe for next gen, maybe it's just you hate seeing people being bullied. You hate it. You hate seeing people sitting by themselves off in a corner all alone. You, you hate it. Maybe. Maybe for some of you, it's those bound by addiction, those that are just, just bound by pornography or hostage to drugs or alcohol. What is it that breaks your heart? A quick story, a friend of mine, his name is Josh Daly. He's a part of Relevant. Josh Daly has, uh, you know, for a lot of his life, I don't know if he would say that he was an alcoholic. I'm not sure that's the word he would use, but I know he'd say alcohol had control of his life. That he, the way he told me, I called him this week to talk about this story. I said, hey, can I tell your story? And the way he put it was like, yeah, it just started as happy hour after work. Then it turned to happy week after work, right? And it just became to where like it became everything to him. And it was impacting his life in very negative ways. And so he did everything he could to push himself away from that, to step away from alcohol completely. But what I love about Josh's story is that eventually he began to see people that he loved People that he knew super well, people that, that worked for him or people that he worked with that were struggling with the same thing. And he felt a righteous burden, a righteous burden to say, hey, I'm not a trained professional. He's a carpenter. I'm not a trained professional to counsel people through addiction. But what can I do? I, I'm an ordinary person. And yet that burden pushed him to, to do at least what he thought that he could do, which is simply put himself out there. 
simply put himself out there constantly on social media and with friends that he has that says, hey, I don't, see, I don't know everything, but I know that this was ruining my life and it can ruin yours and I want to help. And so I just have loved watching Josh just take something that was a burden to him, something that I, I am quite sure that when he saw it burdening other people brought tears to his eyes and then forced him to move so that he could do something and maybe have extraordinary impact in the future. So what do we do? We sit down to cry. We let it in. We feel the pain. We, we embrace the discontent. Listen, I, I don't get worried. I don't get worried when I feel something on a level that brings me to tears. I don't get worried when I've got to sit down for a moment and weep. I start to worry when it's been too long since I have. I want my heart to be soft to the things that are on God's heart. I want my heart to be impacted by the things that impact God's heart. So we sit down to cry. The second thing you do to position yourself as willing to follow God's call is you kneel down to pray. Kneel down to pray. Nehemiah goes on. In that next verse, he says, For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And the biggest thing for us, I think, to remember right here in this section is, and if it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. Sometimes we have a tendency, and I don't want to throw you into it, I'll say me. We have a tendency, though, to say, oh, man, all I can do is pray. All I can do is pray. As if God's in heaven saying, oh, huh. All you can do is ask the almighty creator of heaven and earth. <laughs> the one, oh, by the way, the one that knits you together in the womb, the one that knows everything. All you can do is ask me. If, 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 man, if it's down to just asking me, then you're screwed, right? I mean, how stupid is that? How stupid is that? But we do it all the time. I know I do it all the time. In fact, even recently, kind of the way that this has impacted me, the thing that has broken my heart more than anything else more recently, and by the way, brought me to tears over and over again is the Israeli-Palestinian war. And by the way, I'm not making any political statement here. Do not hear anything I'm not saying. All I'm saying is when I see Israeli people who are innocent die, I mourn and I cry. And when I see Palestinian children die by the thousands, it breaks me. It breaks me. I'm devastated by it. I, I, again, back to what I was saying, I look at my phone and I... And I I have tears in my eyes and I wonder what can I do and I, and I talk to people and I listen to things and I wonder what can I do but who am I, right? What am I going to do about a war going on thousands of miles away on the other side of the world? <clears throat> I'm just an ordinary dude. Guess all I can do is pray. <laughs> Guess all I can do is ask the God of the universe, the one who loves them more than I could ever love them. The God who wants peace over there more than I could ever want peace over there. The God who knows them and desires restoration for them. All I can do is ask him if he'll move in the situation. Guess that's all I can do. Nehemiah, he cries out to God. He, he goes on in verse 5. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And if you read on, if you read on, Nehemiah confesses his sins. He confesses the sins of other people or of his people. And Nehemiah reminds God of his promises as if he didn't remember. And then Nehemiah reminds God of his faithfulness in the past as if he didn't remember. But maybe Nehemiah needed to remember. And after Nehemiah has been broken... And laid bare his burdens before God. He's about to go before the king and ask permission. 
Now, he's going to ask permission, do you remember? Because he wasn't appointed to anything. He was willing. So, so he's going to go ask for the permission to leave and to help his people rebuild their city. But before he goes and does that, once again, I, I just love the way this keeps going. Once again, he prays again. Talking about himself and the king, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. What I want you to see here is what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. If all you ever do, if all you ever do is pray, bless this food, keep me safe, help me to have a good day, then I just don't know that you're believing in a very powerful God. But if you pray, would you move in this situation? God, would you act? Would you work in what's going on today? Would you reveal yourself in this situation that's going on? God, would you stretch me? Would you use me? Would you empower me? Then, then you're believing in a God with the power to take an ordinary person like you, an ordinary person like me, and do some extraordinary things through us. So how do you position yourself to be willing to follow God's call? First, you sit down to cry. Second, you, you kneel down to pray. And third, you stand up and act. See, Nehemiah, he, he finally does. He, he, he grabs the cup and he goes to visit the king. And obviously his people are hurting. His, his city's in ruin. And he finds out more information about it. So his heart is heavy, his soul is burdened. The king, who is his friend, by the way, because they're so close, they're together all the time. He can see it in his face. The king can tell. And so he says this, the king said to me, what is it you want? And then once again, this quick little like flash prayer. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. He says, my people are hurting. My people are hurting and the walls are down. The gates are burned. The city's exposed. They're completely unprotected. I don't know what I can do. I, King, I don't know what I can do. I, I'm just an ordinary servant in your palace. I don't know what I can do. All I know is I can't stay here. I can't just sit around anymore. He, he knew he had no standing amongst men to even ask this question. He knew there was nothing particularly special about him at the time. Nehemiah was simply willing. He was simply willing to, to, to follow the call that God had placed on his heart by placing that burden in his soul. You stand up and you act. Quick little story uh, in my own life of kind of seeing God do some cool things. My, my wife, Holly, and I, we moved to Nebraska coming up on 20 years ago now, which is crazy to me. Uh, we moved here because I felt called to, to be a part of a church plant here in Omaha. We had no connection here. We have no family here. Uh, we had never been here prior to that together. And so uh, I just felt like God wanted us to move here. We had literally just built a house in Texas just a few months prior to feeling this call, which that was not fun. And so I moved up here. And that church, man, that church was... Not successful. Not successful. It lasted about a year and a half. About a year and a half, ran out of funding and, and closed the doors. And so at that moment, my wife, who had spent her entire life in Texas, and me, who had met her and had our first kids, that felt like home to me as well. We were just going to go home, right? Because that's what you do when something fails. But no, God, God made it clear. We were supposed to stay. And I, I didn't know why. I, I had no idea why. I didn't want to. Then over the course of these years, many years, 
like, there were many opportunities for me to take jobs back in Texas. I had a lot of connections down there, a lot of churches that I was connected to that would have gladly had me come and, and serve in some role. And every time it came up, I, I'd go through the process and I would pray with Holly and I'd sit down and, and every time it was, no, it's not, it's not what I'm supposed to do and I didn't know why. And so fast forward a little bit, I'm serving in a church here in Omaha and I joined them, I was serving there for about five years. Over the course of that five years, I was a part of helping grow that church from 500 to 100. <laughs> and, and man, that church, like, I, I love the people there. I love serving there. I love working with the pastor there. But over the course of the five plus years that I worked there, I don't remember, I'll, just, I'll be fair and say it that way, I don't remember anybody putting their faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying I don't remember it. And this burden came upon me. Like, I, I just like, man, I I do not want to waste my life doing this. No offense to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, I love you. I love serving alongside of you. But I don't want to do this job just for you. That's not what I want to do it for. I want to do it because I want to see people forever changed. I want to see people come to know Jesus for the first time and watch them be transformed into everything that he created them to be. I want to be a part of that. And so I'm sitting there and I can feel this weight. And, and I was watching Relevant get started in the very beginning. I had friends here. I was kind of watching it all happen. And man, I just, Holly and I both, we felt a stirring that God was saying, hey, it's time, it's time to transition out of where I was and, and just to come here. It wasn't for a job originally. I just came here because I wanted to be a part of it. Not knowing exactly what God had in store for me 10, 11 years ago when I started here. Well, here's the crazy thing. Over the past 10 years that I've been here. I did that. I looked at the numbers this week and I've over 1,700 people have put their faith in Jesus through Relevant Community Church in the 10 years that I've been here. I'm not saying I had anything to do with that other than I got to be a part of it. I got to be a part of that. Over 760 plus people have been baptized in the time that I've been here. And I'm not saying it happened because I was here. I'm sad it happened while I was here. I got to be a part of it. I, I got to be a part of extraordinary impact. And I believe as long as he allows me to be here, I'll continue to get to be a part of extraordinary impact because I felt a call to be here. I felt a call to be here. And even though I didn't understand exactly why, I stood up and I acted. After plenty of tears and more praying than I could ever tell you about today, I stood up and I acted and I came to be a part of what God was doing here. And I get to be a part of you. I get to be a part of you and your stories. That's the extraordinary impact I've wanted to be a part of since day one. And I'm getting to see it because of you. Where are you feeling holy discontentment? Where are you feeling that stirring, that, that angst, that, that gut in your, that, that uh, knot in your gut when you, when you look at something and you, you hear something or you think about something? And let me be honest, maybe, maybe you're not feeling any. And this isn't a judgment to you. That's totally fine. But you should ask God what he wants for you. You should ask God to open your eyes and expand your heart to, to see issues within the world. Because there's plenty to choose from that, that really impacts you in a way that, that would force you to sit on your butt and cry. That would, that would force you to get on your knees and pray, God, how would you have me work in this situation? Where are you feeling that holy discontentment? And then are you willing, are you willing to follow God's call and have extraordinary impact in whatever situation that may be? 
if you felt a stirring or a burden in your life and you've been pushing it off, my challenge to you today, as we start this new year, it's a great opportunity. Man, it challenge, I challenge you to examine why you've been pushing it off. Figure out why you've been pushing it off. Have you allowed yourself to believe it's a job for somebody else? Have you allowed yourself to believe there's somebody more qualified, somebody more gifted, somebody who's been following Jesus longer? There's some kind of hero out there, not just some ordinary person like me. Well, the good news, our God specializes in using ordinary people just like you to do some extraordinary things. You just need to be willing to follow the call that he has placed on your heart. All right, one last time. This is, we're, we're finishing up here. I'd love for you to stand with me again. I'd love for you to stand with me again. I'm just, I, I found this Franciscan blessing, which is not normally things that I do, but I found it and, and it spoke to my heart. I want to speak it over you. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. And may God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. And I'll add this. May God bless you with all that you need to have extraordinary impact in your world. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for the truths of your scripture, the way we get to look back on words that were written so many thousands of years ago and see how we can use them in our lives today. And today I hope that it's proven to be true, that when we can look at Nehemiah's life and the way that he followed after you and the way that he was willing to do what you called him to do, that we can know that if we're willing to do the same, that you can use us in such a mighty, mighty way as well. And so I pray that you'd give us all the strength that we need to be able to do that in our lives. Lord, we love you. We bless you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.